Hello, everyone, and welcome to Riding in Cars with Cats. I'm your host, Mike Tanner, and today I want to talk about people. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that I really like social media, but I think I like it for reasons that are different from why maybe some other people like social media. I think some people like social media for the media aspect. Some people like the idea of this great platform to get all this content in front of eyeballs, and it's a a pretty inexpensive way to do things that used to cost a lot of money. I mean, if you legitimately think of how much it used to cost to get your, um, your message in front of eyeballs, whether that was uh, print marketing, whether that was radio, whether that was television, whatever the case may be, if you think of how you used to get your, your message in front of people, the costs were astronomical. So the barriers to entry for anyone other than big corporations was, was, were pretty high. And so you had a lot of people coming up with this is, you know, this is basically how guerrilla marketing uh, grew was out of uh, a necessity. You know, guerrilla marketing didn't happen because Coca-Cola thought, hey, you know what would be really neat? Coca-Cola just said, we can throw money at it and buy Santa Claus and we're done. And that was very easy for Coca-Cola to do. And so smaller organizations had to do things differently. Social media, the really amazing thing about it, the really fantastic thing about it, it is uh, a, a great way to enter the market without a huge cost. And I think it's allowed a lot of people to grow their brand and grow their business that wouldn't have been able to using traditional means. But as much as I love those things about social media, that's not why I love social media. The reason I really love social media is the social part. It is the humanity of things. And it is the way in which we connect with people. And today I want to talk a little bit about empathy. And empathy is something that we hear, hear, you know, kind of thrown around, but I don't think it's practiced very well uh, by very many people. Uh, way too often we think of empathy as like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, or I can't imagine how that feels. And those are empathetic, I guess, to a certain extent. Well, the first one's sympathetic, but the second one is, is maybe a little more empathetic. But empathy really is putting yourself in someone else's shoes, where you can say, if that happened to me, I would probably have, you know, a similarly negative or positive reaction. But it goes a little bit deeper than that because we think of everything through the lens of ourself. We think of everything in terms of how would this impact us? So sometimes we're, we're around people who get upset when something happens you know, something happens and they get upset and we think, why are they so upset? Like that wouldn't bother me. Well, that's not really the point. 
it, it doesn't have to bother you. It bothers them. That's the experience that we're talking about at this point. And we have a tendency to look at everything through our own lens. And to be fair, it, it's hard not to do that. It's hard for me to look at something through someone else's eyes. You know, the classic saying of walk a mile in my shoes. Well, I'm never going to. I'm never going to have the experience of a black man or a white woman or uh, a homosexual man or uh, or any other vivid experience that exists for someone in any visceral and real way. But one of the things that I've tried to do over the last little while is start to look at things through a lens of what people need and what people need from me and what people need from others. And it has kind of changed the way I've looked at things. So my wife read this book. I have not yet read it, although I have read a lot about it. (laughs) I've basically read around it, but I haven't actually read it. And Uh, The book is called The Four Tendencies, and it's by someone named Gretchen Rubin. Now, Gretchen is pretty well known in uh, in productivity circles, in psychology circles, uh, as someone who's really good at, at understanding how people work and what makes people tick. And this particular book deals with something she's been working on for a long time, which is that at our core, there are four tendencies in people. A lot of other uh, assessments I've found tend to work in these certainties. So you're an introvert. Well, sure, but I'm also the life of the party, but you don't know why. (laughs) Or, well, you know, you're an extrovert. Sure, but I'm an extrovert who, you know, values quiet. So how do we balance those things? The four tendencies really works on these are the tendencies that you're going to show and how those play out in your day to day life can change a little bit. But it really speaks to the core of what we want and what we need. My wife is a naturopathic doctor. And one of the things I love about naturopathic medicine is that you treat the person as a whole person rather than individual symptoms. So, you know, if someone has a headache, you don't just say, let's make your headaches go away. Um, You say, what can we do that's going to make it so that you don't get headaches anymore? If someone has eczema, rather than saying, well, here's something that will treat that eczema, uh, naturopathic medicine really deals with the concept of what is causing the eczema and, and how can we manage that? And I've had great improvements in my own personal life and, you know, so many amazing stories of patients who've had, you know, great experiences after seeing my wife. But it really gets to the core of things rather than this surface. And that's what the four tendencies does as well in in my mind. So the four tendencies work on the idea that there are basically four types of people, if you will, or four tendencies that people have. The first is the upholder. The upholder does things because that's the rule. The rule is X, I will do X. The rule is Y, I will do Y. It doesn't necessarily matter why the rule is each of these things. It just matters that 
there is a rule. And so you will generally follow. So this can have negative or positive connotations. Um, you know, upholders tend to be uh, successful. They tend to, you know, follow rules and get things done in a socially acceptable way. But an upholder could absolutely be convinced or decide to follow a rule that isn't good because it is the rule. Uh, they don't question things generally in the same way that others might. Enter the questioner. The questioner says, I will do this if you can explain to me the why. So it's not enough that there is a, a rule the question is, well, how did you come up with that rule? What's the purpose of that rule? Why is that rule in place? And questioners can be very, very successful. But if you can't give a questioner a good reason to get something done, they are not going to do it. Um, that's just how things are. So that's questioners. Now, some people do things for others. Some people do what they do because they want to please or not disappoint or excite or whatever people. And these are obligers. Obligers work to try to make others happy. So sometimes they follow the rule because the, there is someone who is telling them the rule and they want to follow it. Sometimes they ask a lot of questions because they know that the person that they're you know, trying to oblige wants them to dig deeper. So an obliger is really um, really focused on the idea of, I have to do this so that I can make people happy because that will make me happy. That's an obliger. And then there's the rebel. I'm currently working with a rebel right now. She's my four-year-old daughter. Now, according to Gretchen Rubin, uh, it is actually not possible for me to know that my daughter is a rebel at this point. Because until a certain age, you're really not sure if you're dealing with the actual tendency or if you're just dealing with kids being kids. But I feel pretty confident so far. So my daughter works really well with choices. My daughter works really well based on the premise of um, you can do this or you can do this. But it is her choice. You can tell an upholder that they need to follow a rule because it's the rule. And you can tell a, um, you know, you can tell a questioner that they need to follow a rule because this was what will happen if they follow the rule and it's what we're kind of, it's the good thing we're looking for. Um, you can do that. And you can tell an obliger that they need to follow the rule because you need them to follow the rule. And that'll work too. Here's what you can't do. You can't tell a rebel anything. You have to provide opportunities for them to explore, uh, opportunities for them to come to their own conclusion. We've been working with my daughter for a while now on these tantrums that she has. And I, for a long time, had this concept that, you know, the idea is I have to quash the rebellion, if you will. I have to say, no, you are not allowed to do this. You need to do this now. And for a while, it worked. And then it stopped working. And we got to the point where she was just, you could not get her out of one of these tantrums. So my wife said, well, 
if she is a rebel, she needs choices. And these choices can be pretty obvious choices for us to make, but she needs those choices in order for her to have control, which is what a rebel wants. They do things because they want to do things. You can't tell them anything. And I thought, that seems silly. I can't imagine that that's actually going to work. And then yesterday, my daughter was throwing a tantrum because she had been asked to help clean up by my mom. My daughter did not want to help clean up and began screaming, like screaming, screaming uh, at me, at her brother, at my mom, at everyone she could, everyone who could hear her could hear her. And this is what she ended up doing. And I thought, okay, let's try this. So I said, Olive, you can do one of the following things. You can either continue to scream and cry, and we will have to get in the car and leave, or you can stop crying and help Nanny clean up, and we can stay. And she stopped crying and helped Nanny clean up, and we stayed. Because for her, it was all about her choice. She decided that that's what she was going to do. Now, the other choice would make no sense, but sometimes the other choice doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be that they see that there are two options and they get to make that choice. So I have clients that I've realized over the years are upholders or obligers or rebels or questioners, and this has really changed the lens through which I've worked with them. It changes the lens I have on social media because what I've started to recognize is that Facebook can tell me all about the demographics. Facebook can tell me where these people are and the kinds of things they're interested in and what age they are and what their you know, educational level is. And Instagram can tell me all these different analytics and we can do that. But Facebook can't tell me if someone is a questioner or an upholder. The only way that I can learn these things is through communicating with them and working with them and asking them questions and actually paying attention to what those answers are, something that a lot of people don't do. My point in all of this is that the thing I love about social media is that these people that I've met are different people and you need to treat them as such. Now, I need to make content, obviously, that reaches as, as large of an audience as I possibly can. That's, that's straightforward. That's how we do marketing. But when I'm talking about the engagement, which is the stuff that really grows those communities, I'm talking about um, those personal relationships. The other day, I met um, uh, a guy on the beach. I was there with my family, knew one of the guys that he was with, and met this new person on the beach. By the end of it, ended up with his contact info, like who he, who he was on Instagram kind of thing, and, and figured out, I'll reach out. They're really nice. Our kids got along well. They like to go to the same beach as us, so I thought I'd reach out. And so I reached out and said, hey, it's Mike, fat guy from the beach who liked field hockey. That was my intro. 
And he responded with, that's quite an intro. And it was because I knew who I was talking to. I had immediately talked to him and thought he has a good sense of humor. He's a, he's a funny guy, but he also likes things to be, you know, quick and to the point. He's, he's a busy software developer. And, you know, that's, I kind of looked at it and said, well, this is what's going to work when it comes to my social media introduction to him. There are other people where I write much longer pieces that are probably considered more professional. But the point of all of it is, is that social media has to have the social part of things, the humanity of things. And the Four Tendencies offers one particular lens that you can look through. It's not the only lens, but I feel like it's a pretty good one. If you liked this episode and you'd like to talk about more things going forward, please reach out at One Red Cat Media on just about every platform there is. Always happy to hear from you. And I hope you really enjoyed this. So take care and have a great, great day.